Hey, y'all. Remember me? <laughs> Been a while. Hope you're doing well. My name is Luke Thomas. This is, um, well, this is a day long in the making, if I can be candid with you. This is not something that was automatic. Not something that, to be honest, I would thought would ever happen. But here we are, and we have arrived. And, um, yes. So, without further ado, let's get this going. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the... I'm going to call it episode one. Really, this is the continuation of something we started back in 2012. You brought it back, but let's call this episode one. It is episode one of the Luke Thomas live chat. And there we are. I actually have a production switcher now, if you can believe that. Um, I've got a nicer camera. You can see the lights in the back. Didn't quite get the shallow depth of field that I was hoping for, but nonetheless, um, we've come a long way, folks. Before we get to all the questions and whatnot, let me just start with a bit of an opening here and say, number one, thank you for this. That enabled this to happen, right? So if you're listening on the audio podcast, I'm pointing to my, um, uh, what do you want to call it, plaque that YouTube gives you for getting to 100,000 subscribers, and I'm thanking all of you guys for bringing us back to this moment. I really appreciate it. So here we are, episode one. Thank you guys for putting us in a position where we could do this again. You know, I, I've said before, I, when I was doing the live chat at the in its last iteration, I'd kind of gotten burned out. But over the, over time, I realized I missed it. And then when I had suggested bringing it back, you guys had emailed me. And like this, I mean, I must have gotten, I'm not kidding, thousands of emails from people saying, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. So I'm happy to have this day here upon us. Thank you for all your patience in waiting. Um, okay, couple of news and notes here before we get the show started. Uh, it's still being worked out in terms of some tweaks, but new merch is available in the description box below. We are live, if you want, on Spotify Podcast. Now, obviously, this episode, if you're watching this live, is not up yet. But if you want to listen to us on Spotify, we are up. We have been submitted to iTunes. It might be up now. If not, it should be up very, very soon. Uh, and I'll put us on Stitcher, I think, today as well. But we're live on Spotify here as well. I will podcast all of this. So merch is live. Podcast, sort of a slow rollout, if I can be honest with you. Um, I don't know why I, I, Apple Podcast is taking so long, but here we are. In any event... Um, all of that is up to date, and obviously, I will leave this video up here as well, yeah? Um, and then let me just say one more time, like, I'm excited to be back, y'all. I really am. It is hilarious, though, that on the day that I come back, I have a bit of a cold. So I have a Kleenex here. You might see me time to time wiping my nose. I apologize for that. Sort of um, <laughs> poetic that my first day back, this is what we're doing, but this is what this is what we're doing. Um Okay, and I see people donating in the Super Chat. You are allowed to do that, uh, and I will answer your questions if you do, but trust me when I tell you it is not required. As you guys know, I put the uh, the the, the uh, prompt to put questions in yesterday, and we're going to get to those here now. All right, so without further ado, let's do that, shall we? Let's... Da -da 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 -da. All right. Let's do it. How many? Ooh, 361. Pretty good. Now, this is going to work the same. If it got bumped up to the top, it will get priority, but not exclusivity. I want to make sure that stuff that doesn't get bumped up can still get answered. Um, 
and I noticed that the first two questions are gossip, which I have something to say about. So let me let me say that up front too. This next chapter of my career, I'm 40 years old now, and I've been involved in MMA since I was in my 20s. This next chapter about my career is not going to be about dumb shit gossip. It's not. It's really not. <clears throat> it's not what I'm here to do. I am on a part of my career where I don't have time to waste. I have worked my ass off to get to at least a little bit of a position and a platform where I can make some use of it. I'm not going to squander it with stupid beefs. As you guys know, I could make a lot of living doing that. My beefs with Chael Sonnen uh, did well for him. That video did a ton of views. My video did a ton of views. Made some money off of it. Now, for folks who may not know, he and I have spoken. We're good. We're not on bad terms at all. We worked out all our differences. Yay, Chael. We're good. But I'm just saying, if you want to do something like that on YouTube, and I know YouTube to an extent is built around that, oh, X destroys Y with Z argument, that's fine. That's really not what I'm here to do. I suppose on some level, conflict is inevitable and gossip is on some degree. Um, you just can't get around it. But that's principally not what this is going to be about. I'm here to have discussions about ideas and debate and things that are interesting and intellectually stimulating. I'm not here, and I'm, and I'm here to set myself apart from my peers. I want to do my own thing. I do not want my name constantly attached to other people, okay? So I'm going to make some kind of an effort to answer these questions, but I'm going to be very clear about this. I'm going to answer these two one time, one time, and then I'm never going to address it again. Okay, I just, I, this is not what this is about at all, period. Now, first question, what really, excuse me, what really went down at MMA fighting? Is it still too soon to spill the beans? Everybody who left is going to have their own story, and that's, that's up to them to tell. I'm not going to tell their story. I'm not in a position to do it. There are some overlapping considerations amongst everyone, but not really. That's not totally true either. Um, and really people misunderstand the situation. It's a, a lot of, for example, a lot of my particular issues have nothing to do with my colleagues who are there, who I still think are doing a great job. Even some of the leadership at the site who I think treated me by and large pretty well. My issue had to do with not totally, but predominantly, I would actually argue upper management at Box. People don't realize how the company works. They attribute everything to the site. You cannot attribute everyone's departure to that site. You contribute, I, I don't know, again, I don't want to speak for everyone else, but um, no, that's not that's not accurate. In fact, I would argue much of it has nothing to do with that. Um, look, man, when MMA Fighting was purchased from AOL, the very, very top leadership at that company, and again, no one who works at MMA Fighting has got nothing to do with the leadership there. They made a series of promises to me about, what uh, they were going to do for me and what kind of work I was going to get. And they lied. They never, ever delivered on any of those promises. And between getting sick of waiting for it and then uh, and then realizing that I was basically just not going to be their guy in the way that they had suggested was enough for me to say, maybe there's something else I can be doing with my time. Right? It basically is the general idea. Uh, and that goes all the way to the top, man. You know, they say one thing for, to me, they told me one thing, and they didn't fulfill the things they said they were going to do. And so at some point, you hit 40 years old, and you say, you know, what am I doing? 
What am I doing? Is this the best place for me to be? And so I want you to understand, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I should be pitied because I shouldn't be. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I got treated. Oh my God, what was me? They, you know, um, I should be pitied in some kind of a way. Uh, because I didn't get to do cool jobs. I got to do a lot of things that most people in MMA don't get a chance to do. This is not a claim of, uh, you know, um, ultimate deprivation, but it is a claim about they intended, according to their own words, to do things that they never, ever did. Um, And here's a perfect example. Like, I'm bringing the live chat back. There's more money in this version of the live chat that I'm putting in right now with this microphone and that camera and this lighting and everything else than Vox ever did. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, at some point, if you believe in your projects and you're around situations where the only way to get that project to its next stage is to do something else, then you have to go do something else. It's not to say I don't appreciate the times I got to travel because I do. It's not to say I didn't get to work around talented people because I did. It's not to say that the people who ran MMA fighting um, at you know r- made some special considerations for me at times because they did. But at the end of the day, to do the kind of work that I wanted to do and to be treated the way that I thought that uh, I, you know, I, I merited, especially given some verbal considerations that were in place um, for me personally, and everyone's story out the, outside of this is going to be different, I decided I had enough. That's it. I, I had enough. And um, it's as simple as that, really. So there you go. I can't believe I have to deal with this. All right, like I said, I'm going to say this one time and one time only, and we're not going to talk about this anymore because this is not how I want to spend my time. This this is not why I brought the live chat back, to be perfectly clear. All right, Luke, is it true that you and Ariel Helwani had a falling out? If so, what happened? Here's what I'm not going to do today. Pick any fight, uh, fighter, pick any media member out there. I could get on this microphone and tell you lots of bad things about them. They could do the same about me, right? Some of it might be true. Some of it might not be true. Everyone can blast every other person. And you can make a living doing that. Here's what's going to happen. If I went out here today and I decided I wanted to make today about slandering Ariel Hawani, uh, boy, it would get picked up everywhere. Uh, it would get uh, videos made everywhere. I'd get a ton of hate mail about it. I'd get a ton of positive mail about it. There's lots of things you could do about that. I'm not going to do that today. Again, I want this next chapter of my career to be about what I'm doing. I'm not worried about what everyone else is doing, by and large, right? I mean, for the most part, you can just avoid what everyone else is doing. Sometimes they do things you have to pay attention to, but by and large, you do not. We are not friends, he and I. We are not going to be friends, and I am perfectly okay with that. I have not spoken to him, but my hunch is he probably feels the same. That's it. That's all I'm going to say, right? Uh, I have my reasons. He probably has his. Th- this show is principally not about stupid media beefs that frankly don't mean anything. Maybe he thinks his grievances or his ideas about the world uh, should be honored. Maybe I do. That's not what I'm going to bring here today. So, no, we are not friends, and I don't intend on us ever being friends, but I'm not friends, frankly, with a lot of people in MMA media. He would hardly be alone. But I'm not going to slander his work today. I'm not going to slander him, his character today because, frankly, this is not about MMA fighting. This is not about him. This is about you and I and the MMA world in general beyond stupid uh, media beefs and, you know, gossip stuff, right? Okay? 
So I know it might be fun and juicy and, oh, buddy, I could cash in. Boy, I could cash in in ways you probably couldn't imagine. But I don't want to do that. I really, really don't want to do that. And I'll just say one last thing about this. Look, anyone who took the job of the MMA hour would be uh, lucky to have it, right? And again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Vox, like, you know, treated me like some kind of prisoner. But what I am going to say is... um, You know, if you take over the Tonight Show from Jay Leno and before that Johnny Carson and then now Conan O'Brien and then uh, Jimmy Fallon, you're going to be associated with all those people for better or for worse. And there are worse and better associations you can have in the business than me or him or anyone else. But what I'm trying to do now, and I hope this is very clear, is I'm trying to carve my own path. Morning Combat was my idea. Now, it's not some sort of revolutionary idea. People have been doing two-man shows, debating sports for a long time. But in the way in which I wanted to present it in MMA, that was my idea, right? I, I, that, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something different and stake my own claim in the way that I saw that being different. This is, this is and it originally was, my idea, and I want to bring that back, right? I want, I want to do my own things. And so it's not that I necessarily mind the comparisons in the sense that I think that they're, you know, bad or good. They're just not accurate. It's not... It's, I don't want to do what other people are doing. I want to do something that I want to do apart from all of that. And that's sort of what I've been wanting to do for a long time. Okay? Hope that answers it. <clears throat> all right. Let's see. How far out down do we have to go on these? Jesus, some of these are way down here. All right. Who is the meanest fighter on the current UFC roster? Jesus, I don't know. They're actually all pretty nice for the most part that I've dealt with in person. Some old school ones get a little bit testy, but... Eh. Not really. All right, let's get back to the top. Uh, Luke, do you think Brendan Schaub is ever going to stop talking about MMA? Seems like he has little to no interest. At this point, well, I wouldn't say that. I don't know if he has little to no interest. I don't think he has probably the same interest as he did when he first got out of the UFC as a fighter. Maybe he has a little bit more diverse interest at this point. But I saw him, what, last month? And he seemed to be still all in. I just don't think, um, you know, I don't want to speak for Brendan. But my hunch is, I think he, like, look, man, like like most people, he likes the big stuff and then the cool stuff and the interesting stuff. And the minutia, dude, he's on, have you guys seen his tour schedule? The dude is on the road constantly constantly man it is uh you know it becomes a point where you have a new life and new life generates new reality so I don't think he is you know is he going to stop talking about MMA I seriously doubt it I, I certainly hope not um but you know is he also blossoming into this you know as he enters his mid to late 30s this sort of new person this this is sort of a funny way to make this argument but it's a real true statement it's like when I see people get married at 21 for example and uh, I, 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 you can't say that universally it's a bad idea. But what you can say is, it's like, dude, that's, I don't know how smart that is. And, and by that I mean, you, know, you might love a person, you might be highly compatible, and in some cases it really works out. In fact, the divorce rate has dropped a little bit, I think, in recent years, if I, at least in this country, if uh, memory serves. But 
the uh, the bigger part of it is is like, dude, you're not the same person in your 30s as you are in your 20s. That's basically true for most people. Whoever you are at 22, that's not necessarily who you are at 38. Now there might be some real factors of continuity through all of that. Um, there might be some, there might be some, you know, things that just never really change. But in terms of the things you like and and where you spend your time and who you spend your time with. A lot of that changes, and that might change your preferences. That might change your expectations and your goals. So you marry someone at 21, it's like, dude, that person better grow and evolve with you. Because if they don't, you know, you're going to have some issues later on. So it's like, to me, does Brendan not like MMA? I mean, that seems to me quite ridiculous. And that's not what you're asking per se, but like, no, I, I think that seems quite ridiculous. However, is he also developing a wider set of interests beyond just MMA as his career takes off and he moves into another stage in his life? Yeah, quite obviously. Quite obviously. Can we get a quick analysis of Korean Zombie uh, versus the Brian Ortega matchup? Man, is that one not awesome? Is that not cool? Is that not the coolest thing you've seen in a long time? I love this fight. I love everything about this fight. One, I like the fact that Ortega took as much time off as he did. <coughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm dying. You saw, by the way, I haven't, this is so funny. I haven't been sick for months and then I get sick on the day of the return of the live chat. It's like so poetic in a way. Um, all right. So, so Brian Ortega, I, I love the fact that he took time off. I know he's itching to get back, but, um, shouts to Sean El Shadi over the athletic. He wrote a piece about, um, about, I think, uh, Whitaker and Adesanya being involved in these brawls and how long it took him to get over it. And Whitaker was like, yo, a year and a half. year and a half. You know? So it's been, I think, some time now. If that not that long, pretty close to it for Ortega. Good. Get the time off. He took a record beating in that fight. And he's still young and he's still good. I'm glad he took this much time off. That being said, I would have recommended a bit of a tune-up fight, but they don't give tune-up fights in the UFC. Anyway, Zombie had that war with Yair, then loses... He took some time off, came back, and then just starts Hanato Moicano. They both have wins over Hanato Moicano. I love this fight because Korean Zombie is in his early 30s. But remember, he lost, like, what, four years uh, due to military service and a, a couple of other factors. And so, I would say he's still relatively young-ish. Ortega is young. Um, you got Max Holloway is young. Volkanovski, not too old. I think just on the early side of 30 or so. I love what's happening at Featherweight, man. I love the youth and the rejuvenation there, at least the relative youth anyway. It seems pretty great. So just as a general note, that seems to be awesome. Secondly, about this fight in particular, man, this is going to be an interesting one because both guys are action fighters. I would say Korean Zombie's hand speed and accuracy and his timing has gotten so good. You know, it's funny, man. If you guys didn't watch WEC Korean Zombie, you might not understand why he's called Korean Zombie. Okay, he can take a shot, but he used to have sort of a brawling, wild, come-forward style without much regard for what he was doing. That's really not the case anymore. No one really talks about the technical evolution of Korean Zombie. They kind of acknowledge how good he is, but they don't really acknowledge... There's, there's like a ton of growth there. It reminds me a little bit of Justin Gaethje. That's, that's an exaggerated example, but it's a similar kind of path where... This guy is out there just brawling and doing all this kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, slowly over time, they put in better footwork and they put in better shot selection. But they retain the kind of style that made them famous and fan favorites and, frankly, to a degree, successful. 
they just sharpen it up. They get rid of some of the deficiencies of that style and they retain some of the good parts. Korean Zombie has done that. So to me, it's like, it's a real interesting test case between, um, in this particular case, to, to me, it's going to be a function of to what degree does Brian Ortega deal with somebody on the feet who is likely to press into him, be willing to take a shot, uh, and is explosive in close quarters, can push him back with punches. Um, and then on the on the ground, it's like, dude, Korean Zombie is no slouch. He can scramble. Um, he can get back to his feet when he needs to. He's offensive from his guard if he needs to be. To what extent does he want to mix it up with Brian Ortega there? But to me, it really, the issue is, I suspect Zombie is not going to want to play it out on the on the ground if he does. I like Ortega's chances. On the feet, I guess I would have to say um, just the just the accuracy and the shot selection against Ortega. Ortega's in the stage that I can tell. Now, maybe he's improved way since then, and he's in that stage of his career where people do improve a lot where you see a lot of strikers, they get better at offense before they get better at defense. And then when they get really good, their offense and their defense are on point. He's still in that stage where I think the defense is coming along. So he hasn't gotten there yet. Um, but if he has improved since the last time we've seen him, well, then all bets are off. All bets are off. That'll be fun. That'll be, that'll be really, really, really fun to see. I can't wait for that one. Man, this is the next. The, this next question is phenomenal. I've been thinking a lot about this as well. Somebody asks early thoughts on Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie, buddy. That's a no bullshit matchup if ever there was one, man. That is a no bullshit matchup if ever there was one. Wow. All right, let's get into this. So this is highly interesting. Um, Pull up my dashboard here, make sure everything's looking good. Looking good. Uh, yes, okay. Everything's good. Um, all right. I lost the uh, questions. Where'd they go? For fuck's sake. There we are. That's a hell of a fight, man. That's a really, that's an incredible fight. So Gregor Gillespie has won... Was it like six fights in the UFC, something like that, five or six? And he is just out there blowing the doors off people. I think most recently against Yancey Medeiros, Kevin Lee losing to Iaquinta, going up to one seventy, then losing to Dos Anjos, coming back down. Now he did change things up. He's with Faraz Hobby. He's over there at TriStar. That's a big deal to me. I, I, look, you know, you you post something about Kevin Lee, and Kevin Lee posts something about his own sense of strength, and you get a lot of people chirping about how they don't like Kevin Lee. You know, I'm not asking you to change your worldview, certainly, but I think what I would say to you is, um, I would be—I think it's foolish. I think it's very foolish to discount his chances. I think it's very foolish to not think about what he can do uh, in this next stage of his career. What is he? 27 years old, right? He's still in that stage of his career where where true growth is possible. The only difference is, this fight to me highlights, like this, why this is not boxing. If you had somebody at 27 years old who had the potential of Kevin Lee, and yes, he's polarizing, but that's still something monetizable. And he had had two losses in a row at two different weight classes. And he was coming back down to his original weight class. The only thing you would be doing if you were invested in that guy as a network in boxing or as a promoter in boxing, the only thing you'd be doing is getting that guy a tune-up. That's the only thing you'd be doing. 
because you'd be saying, we got to get this guy not merely in a place where we can bank another big fight, but that we want to get his like development not so far off track through losses and difficult fights that um, he never... The Look, if you realize your full potential as a fighter and you lose, that's not easy to accept. But to me, that's actually a better scenario than never having realized your potential. And I think the concern for me here a little bit is I'm not suggesting that Kevin Lee can't or won't win. He, he, might, he might go in there and annihilate Gregor Gillespie. I'm not making any claims about the prediction side of things. But what I am going to say is, um, boy, is that risky. Boy, is that risky. Uh, it's almost as if the UFC looked at this one and said, you know, Kevin, if you're going to be something. I'm, this is, Someone suggested to me this is the UFC saying, we're done with Kevin. Let's see what we have in Gregor. I would disagree with that. It is certainly a moment for Gregor to transcend because dude, Gregor's, I think, 32. Um, it is a moment for him to transcend, provided he gets this win. But I would also argue it's a bit of the reverse. It's not the UFC giving up on Kevin, far from it. But it is a bit of a scenario for Kevin where it's like, dude, if you're going to be something, now's a, now's a great time to do it. Now's a great time to do it. And uh, good luck doing it against that guy who won a national title, Division One at Edinburgh, in his sophomore year in college, right? And he placed ac- across two weight classes, 149 and 157, who is just going in the UFC and just, you know, getting after it with the takedowns and the pushing of the offense and the advancing of position and the the hunting of submissions or just the ground and pound and the combination of the two. Boy, he is out there letting people know what time it is. Um, You got your hands full if you're Kevin Lee. You got your hands full if you're Gregor Gillespie too. Please, don't... This is I, I people people always do this. They're like, oh, I dislike Colby Covington, therefore it must be a situation where um, he's bad and he must lose. So, for example, you look at like the I saw the Tyron Woodley um, um, food truck diaries for Brendan Shop, and it's great. Tyron is smart and interesting. He maybe has the best like quaffed beard in all of MMA. He's super successful, but like if you look at the views on the Tyron Woodley one and the Kamar Usman Kamar Usman one combined, I think they're right at Colby Covington's. And I've seen people being like, oh, Colby Covington had the worst ratings on ESPN. Motherfucker, it aired at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and here's the bigger consideration. The viewership never dipped over time. It actually increased over time, which is really the true measurement of how things are supposed to go. And not like you had a whole lot of supporting cast, and not like that fight was like super well-promoted and had a long buildup. Like, the numbers he did are quite respectable. People let their dislike of somebody affect the, a judgment about what they're doing. Do not be that guy. And so I know Kevin Lee, you know, rubs, not me, but it, I, I like Kevin a lot, but rubs some people the wrong way, and they're like, oh, he's going to get smoked. Well, to be clear, you know, Gregor Gillespie is a real challenge. On the other hand, so is Kevin Lee, dude. And it'd be very, very foolish to not take what he can do seriously. Some BJJ questions. I'm gonna skip those because um, we've done. I've done the BJJ talk a million times. And no, the answer. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll give you an update on where I am now, which is nowhere. Not trading right now. Basically, just got sick of being injured. Um, you know, I do a lot of benching these days because I'm a lot more in the weight room. And I got hit with a wrist lock maybe three years ago at this point, maybe even four, and my wrist has never recovered. You know, I dislocated my toe and I had to pop it back in in place. And people are like, oh, you'll be you'll be good in six months, bro. Here we are a year later, it doesn't feel the same, you know. 
I just got sick of being injured. And I, I might go back. I don't know. We'll see how I feel. But for right now, it's like I love training. But, you know, and some people don't get injured like me. I seem to just get injured all the time. You know, I feel like Jordan Reed of the Washington Redskins. Well, he has a concussion issues. But uh, I just got injured all the time. I got sick of it. I got really sick of it. So I, I'm not training right now. I'm just trying to get stronger. Luke, have you ever called your wife Mama Sita? And if so, how did she react? No. Um, <laughs> it's funny. There's a word. They, I don't know if it's a word across like all the Spanish language, but there's a word at least in Colombian Spanish. It's called Giza. or Giza, I think it's Gizo and Giza, depending on the, the gender. But like Giza is uh, like when people – it's like it's – like, um, it's like having no class, like people who like make out in public kind of thing. I think that's exactly because there's two words. There's like Giza and Loba. And I don't know exactly quite the difference between them, but Giza, anyway, if you see people like, you know, you see like a young couple making out in public, it's like, ooh, Rey Giza. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I one time was like, I, I didn't do it because you know that Jay Z song, I Poppy. And I was like, what if I asked you to call me Poppy? And she was like, oof, Rey Giza. So, no, I've never done it. All right. Luke, do you find the focus of UFC fans is shifting too much toward the top of the divisions, craving star-powered matchups while the UFC brass is pushing cards with less star power, but pretty solid and entertaining matchups, i.e. Pereira or P- Pereira versus Connolly? What does it take to get the fans out of the Rousey era and more focused on the sporting aspect too? How can MMA media produce more watchable content when interviewing less media-trained fighters? Jesus, these are hard questions. Uh, let's start with the second one first. How can MMA media produce more watchable content when interviewing less media-trained fighters? Well, that's on the... Sorry, y'all, that's on the fighter. I mean, there's some fighters out there, dude. Like, you stick a microphone in Cormier's face, uh, Adesanya's face, Dominic Cruz's face, you know, people like that, and you just you just turn the recorder on and let them roll, you know? But... Dude, a lot of times it's like pulling blood from stone, man. You go to these media days and then you're afterwards you're like, wow, I talked to, you know, 15 fighters. It's like, what did I learn? What did I learn? Not much, you know, not much. And there, it's part of that is just because they may, they may have great personalities, but they might put on a media face to, um, to just get through that process or disguise what they want to say or something like that, right? There's a lot of ways that could go, but, um, the answer is not much, man. If a person doesn't want to open up to you, and yes, there are some tactics to get them to open up. You know, I think that guy, I don't know who he is in real life, but that guy, the schmo, he seems to have some kind of a of a weird bit that disarms people. It's like, you ever seen that show Hot Ones? It's like, why, it's like, why do you want celebrities eating chicken wings? It's because when they're worried about eating chicken wings, first of all, you get hilarious reactions, and then two... You often find that that there creates a different atmosphere, and it, you know, it, it allows for some candor in some ways that it ordinarily might not. That's the whole idea. It's that it's not merely it's different, but that it's different in a way that produces a different outcome. And that schmo character, he does some stuff like that uh, that can disarm people. But like, you know, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna get there and overly, you know, gesture my face <laughs> to copy him. The answer is, you know, let somebody really good about doing that try that. But, like, you know, did you guys ever see before he got drafted, Kyler Murray on the Dan Patrick show? Buddy, like, Kyler Murray eventually showed that he had a much better personality. Go watch that shit. Go watch Kyler Murray on the Dan Patrick show. 
you'd be like, oh my God, dude. This guy has the personality of a, of a brick. It's because that's what he wanted to put out there. And you're talking about Dan Patrick. Like, if you can't have a good interview with Dan Patrick, you can't have a good interview. Now, I would say there are some other ways. You know, get them to do, like, physical things, you know, like, um, you know, play video games with them or they don't want to do a lot of beer drinking, but I bet that would, I bet, I bet that would be a lot of fun. In fact, that's one of my things that I want to do. It's just it's hard to find fighters who want to, you know, who every time I see one, they're either in camp or, or at the beginning of camp or, you know, waiting for a fight. So they kind of want to, you know, not, not engage in that behavior. But I think that would be super fun. Not to get torched, but just to have a couple beers, you know, loosen up, have a little fun. That's what you have to do. But how do you do that at media day? You know, how do you have beers with a fighter at media day? You can't. How do you have beers with a fighter over Skype? You can't. Um, how do you have beers with a fighter at a scrum? You can't. So a lot of this is just you're limited by the medium. And this is why I cut to a degree. I've sort of really dialed back on my interviews on my radio show. In part, I did an inter- a post about it. Uh, but the other part is like, dude, like, uh, you know what? I'll give credit to him. CM Punk made this point to, to, to his credit. He was like, he doesn't do a lot of interviews over Skype now because it's like, dude, you just don't get the real person. And it's no one's fault. It's not the interviewer's fault. It's not the person's fault. I mean, just think about this. Why is dating in person better than dating over the internet? Well, part of you actually can better make a better judge of someone's character. Are they shady? Are they not? But like, dude, like the, the greater degree of... Of, of not intimacy, but the the greater degree of um, real human connection, the better everything is. So, like for example, I had Israel Adesanya on my radio show last week. It was a fine interview. I mean, no interview with him is bad, but compared to like when I had him in studio, it's not even the same. It's, I mean, it's not even remotely the same. So, so like to the extent that um, you can get them in these unorthodox situations. You can get more out of them, but that's hard to do. You have to go fly to their gym, or you have to get the management to set something up. It's hard, man. It's hard. Like if you're wondering why some of the stuff that happens at these events is the way that it is, it's because I'm not going to blame it on the event. I'm just going to say the event creates for more constraints than you might imagine. That isn't to say that hey, all of us could be more creative in our questions. Probably, probably. But definitely, for sure. At the same time, you know, you walk up to a fighter who's cutting weight, who doesn't want to be there, who's a nice guy, but, you know, professional, but doesn't want to be there. You know, it's going to take quite the effort to get something out of him. There's not much you can do. Now, in terms of finding that the focus of the UFC fans is shifting too much toward the top of the divisions, craving star-powered matchup while the brass is pushing cards with less star power, but pretty solid and entertaining matchups. I'm not sure I understand the question. What does it take to get fans out of the Rousey era and more focused on the sporting aspect? Nothing. There is an inexorable lock between um, our relationship, between fans' interest. <clears throat> you ever seen that? I bring it up all the time. You ever seen that Onion article? Area man overestimates fighting ability by 4,000%. People think they know fighting. So doing something where you're highly technical, breaking stuff down, I do that, and it can work. I'll get to that in a second. But people have a fairly limited interest in that for the most part. Not entirely, not entirely, but for the most part. There's a huge cadre of fans that just don't really care about that. What is more accessible is dispute. What is more accessible is um, conflict. And assuming you already know 
what, what, what they're going to do technically. People, that sounds crazy, but people do that. Um, the last thing I'd say about like getting people to care about the other stuff, dude, I put my money where I feel like I put my money where my mouth is on that. Um, at least I try anyway with dissected. I even do, so I'm going to do more stuff with like dissected like on this channel going forward, uh, in 2020 for sure. The rest of this year, but in 2020 as well. And, um, what I have found is that it just it used to be that those kinds of breakdowns to get people to care about those kinds of things, people would write them out. It, it's just hard to write that out and get people to care, even if you have like GIFs. But if you can have a a multimedia presentation, you can get people to care about those kinds of details. But even then, that's kind of hard. Let's move around because I barely got to any of these. Jesus Christ. Um, this is not a question, but a public service announcement. Tell Dana to announce Habib versus Tony. Yeah, I'm sure he'll listen to me. Y'all see him refer to me as some reporter. <laughs> On Instagram, I thought that was hilarious. It's like, you know who I am. Trust me, I know you know who I am. Have you considered hosting a podcast where you just talk about life? Yeah, this one. I want to know how you actually think about many different topics in the real world. Then ask. This is this is principally going to be an MMA podcast. Yeah, principally. It doesn't have to be exclusively. It can be about many other things. Ask. I'll exercise some discretion in to what extent we get into it, but ask. Uh, let's see, another Ryan Ortega question. We'll skip those. Hang on now. <sighs> Told y'all. Uh, let's see. Given that we know Gordon Ryan eventually plans on getting into MMA, how well do you think he does based on his grappling and the level of general coaching he has access to given the current landscape? <sighs> Yep. <clears throat> One of those days. All right. Is Gary Tonin's run so far any indication of how he might do in the beginning before he gets good at an all-around game? Gary and um, Gary and Gordon have very different games in the sense that they follow a similar Danaher blueprint. But uh, I think I would say that... Um, Gary takes a lot more risk. I think he's got a bit more of a dynamic style. I think even Gordon has called Gary the most exciting grappler on the planet, and I don't know that that's wrong. Certainly if he's not, he's on the short list for those who are. Uh, So they're not exactly the same. Gordon's style, and I had someone write this out to me. I want to thank them. I forget the name. I don't have it in front of me. Someone wrote me a really nice email. You can shoot me one as well, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com and they were basically explaining his game if you watched the ADCCs what he would do is he would sit to guard or you know find a way to, to sitting position leg entangle butterfly hook sweep or butterfly guard sweep depending on which one and then depending on what the other person did he would he would uh, arm drag heel hook or take the back predominantly taking the back and then I think he only did the arm drags in the uh, Bushesha match um, in any event uh, he did that over and over again you know that's Remember, in jiu-jitsu, for jiu-jitsu, you can only beat another person's jiu-jitsu with your own. In MMA, you can completely shut it down. You have to force someone's jiu-jitsu on you. So, like, if your entry is not from a double leg, but from a sitting position, and your butterfly guard sweeping. I mean, he did sweep Bushesha, which I thought was ridiculous, and then moved right to mount. Uh, on the other hand, um, I just don't know how that style translates to MMA. On the other hand... Training with John Danaher, I suspect what they're going to do is get them to a point where they're not reliant upon their jiu-jitsu as well as give them a style where their entries uh, enable them to do 
things other than sitting, leg entanglement, butterfly, hook sweep, that kind of a thing. Uh, let's see. What are Bud's chances against Cyborg? Was Cyborg somehow exposed by Nunez? No. Dana White had one good point about it all, which was that, like, dude, Cyborg is obviously very talented, and, you know, um, whether she's the best at this point in women's history, I guess Nunez has eclipsed her. But let's, like, you know, Cyborg was the, considered the very best for a very, 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 very long time. For a very long time. And that deserves to be recognized, you know? It's sort of, sort of like what Aldo and Max are doing at Featherweight kind of a thing. You know, Aldo was this king for so long. And he lost twice. And I, I realized that they only fought once in Nunes and Cyborg's case. But, you know, it, it was pretty clear that Max is the new guy. But, you know, that length of reign is really remarkable in any event. Uh, no, exposed, no. But, like, dude, she's getting older. How old is Cyborg? Let me pull this up here. How old is old Cyborg? She's 34. She's 34, man. It's not young. It's not young at all. Um, so I think she's slowing down a little bit, understandably, all, all quite natural, right? It, 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 father time comes for everybody. She's still quite good. And I frankly expect her to beat Julia Budd pretty handily. It's not. It's just not clear to me where Budd is better. You know, Budd is very, very physically strong. She has good takedowns, good ground and pound, good submissions. Um, she's experienced at this point. She's, she's not injury prone, but... Cyborg is stronger. I think she's still faster. I certainly think she hits harder. And I think that her game on the ground is just way more advanced. So it's like I respect Julia Budd for how good she is. It's just not clear to me where she's better. Which isn't to say she couldn't win. I just find it unlikely. Is it me or did Luke Rockhold and Kane really decline since USADA? Not only performance, but their bodies and muscular appearance. Well, okay, that just seems totally wrong. Number one... I've detected no difference in Kane's body. Okay. Again, he's aged, but not some kind of like dramatic deflation, just a natural one that seems certainly doesn't seem suspicious to me. Rockhold, if anything, has gotten more muscular. Did y'all see his back at, uh, what was it, uh, UFC, whatever it was, when he fought Blahovich? It was 239, I think. Dude, you could screen a movie on his back. He looked huge. In fact, I think that was part of the problem. He wasn't light and he wasn't nimble. I did a dissected on this, like what was happening to Luke Rockhold. You go back and you watch the first Bisping fight and you look at his footwork and how fleet of foot he was and how quick and agile. And, you know, not a perfect fighter by any stretch, but you couldn't believe how flat-footed he is now, you know? So I think the way, like he was trying to get big enough at the weight class to like, you know, physically impose himself okay fair enough but on the other hand I think he went a little too far I think he went a little too far because he just seemed to be lethargic to a degree and that's not what makes his style work he's not a guy who's like a heavy slipper right he's the kind of guy who, who leans to get out of the way so like he's really judging his distance with his hands you know getting kind of close but not too far so when strikes he can he move out of the way with his feet but if you're gonna move, if your defense comes from your feet, and now you're too heavy to really make use of that, problems are gonna happen. Uh, many people believe that one of the main reasons why the UFC doesn't want to book Habib versus GSP is because of the potential that GSP wins and immediately vacates the belt, guilty as charged. However, there's a similar situation between Stipe and DC. DC, correct? 
when Dana has already expressed his interest and willingness to give DC a shot at the belt again before he retires. Can you speak about some of the differences between the two situations and why one would be okay but not the other? Well, one one difference would be as follows. GSP already did it. DC has not done it. So there would be like a once-bitten-twice-shy scenario with GSP. That's the first consideration. The second one is... And I said this on Morning Combat. You rarely get to a scenario where, like, your your very last fight is this consequential and this important, and frankly, this huge. Um, but GSP, well, GSP was there, and now DC is there, and so I would agree that, like, if the argument is, man, we just don't want to wreck the division with that. You know, you could kind of understand that. On the other hand, if you're the UFC, you're like, wait, we're going to pass up a fight to decide this epic heavyweight rivalry. I still think that Stipe's body of work is big enough at this point that even if he loses, he's still the better. He still has the better resume in heavyweight in the UFC. But you could make an argument. It's like, well, okay, it's it's it, this is this weird moment where, like, again, I think resume and body of work matters. On the other hand, if you beat the guy with the best resume twice, what does that say about you? That you're clearly better, but you just didn't do as much in that division. So there's almost a bit of a test case there of not really who wins that rivalry, but you can make an argument for not, not the best resume there, but certainly maybe the better of the two UFC heavyweights all time. We, you'd have to get the designation right. But suffice to say, dude, it's major stakes. GSP versus Habib is like a luxury fight. It's not to say that there wouldn't be stakes involved, who'd be the best of all time and blah, 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 depending how you wanted to put it, or best MMA grappler. That's a little more that's a little bit more of a luxury evaluation than like best UFC heavyweight. And these two and this is this is his last chance to prove it for Cormier? I don't know, y'all. That might be a risk worth taking. I agree. If Cormier wins, hey, that creates some problems, to be sure. Because then what, you're gonna do Francis versus Stipe again? I mean, that's not the end of the world, but after Cormier just splits, it's a problem. It's a problem. I agree. But it might be one overlooking in this particular case. Luke, uh, uh, let's see. How do you think a matchup between Joanna and Zhang looks? I'll see. Zhang would have to get inside. I have to think more about that one. That's interesting, though. Any thoughts on metalcore bands like Bullet for My Valentine? No, I don't pee sitting down. Does being able to understand a single lyric disqualify a metal band from making it to your library? No, of course not. I like all kinds of bands um, beyond just the death metal, Harambe metal kind. But they have to be good. Bullet for My Valentine is AIDS. Uh, Luke, Tony Ferguson has claimed that he will try to take Habib down when they eventually fight. No one has ever done that to Habib in 28 fights. That's not true. Gleason T-Bot took him down. Let me uh, let me verify. How did a fight metric call it? They may not have. They may not have called it because he got up pretty quickly, but he got him down. Let me go back to the Gleason T-Bow one. Yeah, T-Bow took him down. Uh, and Abel Trujillo took him down. Trujillo, Trujillo, however you want to pronounce it, he took him down too. So that's not true. Suffice to say, though, most have not, and and couldn't do anything with it. Um, if that was to happen, that'd be huge, even if he did nothing with it, similar to Gustafson taking down John Jones. My question is, if it did happen, given Habib's rock-solid mindset and game plan, 
Could such an event affect his performance and confidence in the cage if he faced such adversity? Or do you think he'd be able to grind through that and not let the, take, the takedown bother him? I think you'd be crazy to think the takedown would bother him. Now, it might change the way he competes uh, and what, what weapons he chooses, but no. Dude, and by the way, people don't talk about this. Um, he doesn't have a prolonged ability to use guard. Habib's guard is good. Habib's guard is very, very good. Really good. So keep that in mind. Mm, let's see. Did news of Stipe's eye surgery change your perceptions at all and his performance of the DC rematch and how the trilogy fight might go? I have recollections of him and his coach discussing the eye injury after the match and mentioning it affecting his ability, but most like like most thought, thought of it more as a minor issue. However, it seems to have been actually a major. It would also make Stipe still winning seem more impressive. To me, that's could be. Could be. I mean, I'm not a medical, you know, it's hard to know exactly what the ailment means and what requires medical, serious medical interventions. Uh, but, okay. To me, that's not the issue. Um, to me, the issue is, okay, both guys have to face a bit of a reality here. Stipe has to face the reality was that... that Stipe has to face the reality that Cormier didn't wrestle optimally and that he might have some kind of a challenge for the body shot. That needs to be acknowledged. Cormier has a, has a challenge that he has to accept, which is Stipe let him fight a lot of the way he likes to fight, grabbing the hands, punching over the top, walking forward into him, leg kicking, and it didn't stop him. Over three rounds, it didn't stop him. Now, there might be a better, more careful way to do that the third time around, but a big way in which Cormier likes to fight, Stipe just let him do it, and he still couldn't win. Now, that's a problem, isn't it? Not insurmountable, but a problem. TJ Dillashaw is on record saying he wants a title shot in his return fight. Do you think he deserves it? Are we really going to talk about deserved with UFC title shots? Really? The answer is no. I mean, e even if you, even if you're someone like me who I don't care about PEDs in the way that you guys do, I suspect you've been gone two years, bro. <laughs> Back of the line. Hi, Luke. Besides MMA, what other sports do you like to watch? Um, Jesus, what sports do I not like to watch? I've been keeping up with the Rugby World Cup. Did y'all see New Zealand versus uh, Canada? It was like sixty-three to nothing. 63 to nothing. <laughs> uh, Jesus, they beat the fuck out of them. All right, I would say, okay, in order, football, American football, um, soccer. Obviously, other combat sports, jiu-jitsu, wrestling. I'll, I'll tune into baseball playoff or a playoff baseball. Uh, I love hockey. I love the Washington Capitals. Um, I'll even watch. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of spots, sports I don't like. I'll watch tennis. I don't watch like really Olympic esoteric ones. I don't watch, you know, kayaking or archery or something like that. But I don't know, man. To me, it's like if you like, well, again, I've said this before, what is it you like about high-level sports? It is athletic excellence, man. And if you like athletic excellence, why would you limit that to just a few genres of of limited displays of that i like it in, in boxing i mean i like it in all of them you know uh yeah 
All right. Uh, what was your favorite thing about being a Marine? The fact that I could do it. Sounds stupid, but it's the truth. If Henry Cejudo doesn't return to flyweight, would a tournament make sense to bring attention to the fighters in the weight class and prestige to the flyweight belt? Yeah, but it would be really damaging for that division if that didn't happen. I think they're trying to avoid that. If they're going to keep it around, then at least the least they can do is keep it around in a way that is compelling. So um, I suspect that they will. Luke, regarding the MVP Dan Mergliata instance, what is your stance on penalizing fighters for unsportsmanlike conduct? Where is the line and when should a ref get involved? Yeah, Big Dan fucked up on that one, man. And I like Big Dan. I've interacted with him a number of times. I find him to be a very nice guy. But um, he botched that one. He botched that one. No two ways about it. So the rule for it, look, um, I, I would need it clarified. But I looked up the unsportsmanlike conduct rule. My reading of it was that you couldn't engage in unsportsmanlike conduct as it related to another fighter's well-being. So by that I mean, uh, let's say, uh, here's a different example. You had Hanato Sabral had, I think, an anaconda choke on David Heath, and the referee was begging him, trying to pull him off to get him to let go, and he wouldn't until he went to sleep and he was covered in blood. It was a really bad look for Babalu. That is clearly against the rules. Not merely because you didn't obey a referee's instructions, but two, you went afoul of the unsportsmanlike conduct rule. My general view is, uh, number one, if... So you had Jorge Masvidal knock Ben Askren out. Knocks him out, and what does he do next? He gets down there, and he's tapping you know, the mat. But when the medical professionals got involved, he moved. So he was still taunting him, but he wasn't blocking medical professionals and officiants from doing their job. So to me, I don't really care. King Mo got in trouble once. I think after a fight, he got on top of the cage, and he poured like uh, some kind of um, like energy drink on himself. And I think the commission was upset because that would affect the mat surface. So I would say as a general rule, number one, don't get in the way of the officiants. Obey referee instructions relative to the fight itself. Two, don't bring in props until the fight is completely over. Like, you know, you had MVP with the uh, Infinity Gauntlet. (coughs) With the Infinity Gauntlet. When he was getting his hand raised in a different fight. I think that's okay. You know, but like you're bringing liquids into the cage, probably not the best idea, right? Probably not the best idea. Um, so that that's it. But you want to start start lecturing and enforcing sportsmanship? Get the fuck out of here! You know, please. That's not. That's not. I don't. A. I don't think that's the rule in the unified rules. I could be wrong about that. I'm I'm happy to have some clarification on it, but that's not the way the rule the the the, the rule reads to me. And secondly, even if it is, it's a ridiculous rule. It's not evenly enforced. It's barely enforced at all. Dude, this is fight sports. People are going to say nasty things to each other. And Dana White has been, I think, not exclusively, but somewhat right about that. Um, you know, guys are going to taunt each other. They're they're not in their right minds when they're out there competing sometimes. Let it go. Let it go. You want to defuse the situation? Let it go. Let it go. No. Uh, and you saw him, again, he apparently had this issue with MVP. Greg Hardy did the whole Fortnite dance thing. And you saw Big Dan shake his head. Like, no, that's not what this is about. And I'm not I'm not down with it at all. What happened to the MMA beat? Uh, this I can answer a little bit more forthrightly. That was going to end no matter what. Because I was going up every Monday, and then I was going up again every Thursday. And that just took years off my life. You know, it's a it's a three and a half four hour commute each way. If there are no delays, if there are delays, God help you. Uh, and I, you know, my schedule was such that I was trying to do all this other work, and I had to take you know medication to go to sleep, 
Dude, my blood pressure went through the roof. You know, um, I had a I had a medical checkup, and I had all kinds of health problems as a result of this. You know, trying to travel to New York City from Washington D.C. every two times a week, it was terrible on my health. And you know, I think it was just it's hard to have panelists because people are like, oh, you should have like so and so on as a panelist, and they'd be like in L.A. Well, it's like, well, dude, we can't. There's no budget to fly people from L.A. to New York to do that. If they're there, you could do it. I know they one time flew Sean El Shadi. And they may have kept doing it, but then he left, Chuck left, Mark Ramundi left, Mark Ramundi moved to L.A., obviously Ariel moved on. It, we just ran out of panelists, man. We ran out of panelists, and then it was hard on me. They were going to kill that off no matter what. It was a great program. It had a great run. I was the only one from the beginning to the end of it. Um, but, you know, things fall apart in this world. Uh, I'm just glad I got a chance to be on it. I'm glad that all the support you guys provided for, for me and everyone else in that show. I, I enjoy doing that show, um, with and I mean this with every panelist. I had a good time doing the show, but it, that, that was going to go away no matter what. How does it feel to have made it into the Mixed Molly Whoppery video? Pretty good. That was cool. I appreciate it. That dude is, that dude is so talented, and he's so smart to do what he does. Everybody, if you look at all the MMA sites, and including my radio show, my radio show, I'm guilty of this too. It's on every day. You're trying to get news out every day, and you don't have time to sort of take a step back and digest. And he does exactly that. He takes a step back and says, everyone else goes fast. I'm going to go slow. But when I go slow, I'm going to go smart and comprehensive and thoughtful, and I'm going to do it the whole way through. It's genius. It's genius. It's, it, and, and, I, and I made this point before, and people were like, that's not true, but it is true. People are looking for alternative sources of media these days. You know, the same old thing coming from the media sites. Look, the media sites are important. I, I used to be at them. I ran one of them in Bloody Elbow. Like, dude, they, they're, they're an important part of the ecosystem, but they're not the ecosystem. And people are looking for a greater diversity of perspectives and 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 things to observe. And they they want they want more. They want more. And um, that is a perfect example of how to have some success while not being a part of a typical media organ and doing things a little bit differently. All right, we're at the 1 o'clock mark. Let me jump down and skip to some other ones. Favorite serial killer of all time? That's a ridiculous question. Uh, let's see. Does Gordon Ryan have a champion mindset? Yeah. Does it translate to MMA? The champion mindset translates to MMA. The question is, how will his jiu-jitsu do it? Oh, here's a Spanish question. Uh, hola, Luke. You're going to hear my terrible accent. Podrías hablar un poco de los problemas que varios peleadores como Donald Cerrone y ahora un coach tienen uh, con Jackson Wink Team. Muchas gracias y buena suerte para tu familia. Yeah, they're asking, about, or she is asking, in this case, I think it's a she, uh, my vision is blind here, about, um, you know, if you notice, like, Jackson Wink has a bunch of issues with a lot of fighters, like Don Cerrone, other ones, like bailing them, now they had Frank Lester. Uh, I, I got some information about this one that I'm not going to say I think Frank is wrong, because I don't know that that is true. I'll say this, I got information about this one, and the way it looked to me was inconclusive. Uh, hard to know what was up and down. It didn't, and it was good information too. Yeah, I didn't, 
I know people have come out and slammed Coach Wink for other issues. I'm not here to weigh in on those. On this one, I would pump the brakes a little bit. It, it, it's not to say that I think Frank is wrong. I, I literally don't know, and I had a bunch of information. I came away from it being like, I don't know who's wrong. Let's jump down a little bit. Want to hear a book recommendation? I got two for you. Here we go. I got two for you real quick. I'm so sorry about my nose, y'all. Let me see if I can see myself so I can, uh, here we go. Here's one. Super pumped. The Battle for Uber by Mike Isaac. Mike Isaac is a uh, New York Times reporter who covered the uh, the rise and what do you want to call the now the, the, the fall of Uber. I won't spoil the whole book for you. People don't know this. Um, Uber not only doesn't make money, it is hemorrhaging money. Here is what they did as a general uh, uh, outline to everything. Here's what they did. <laughs> their basic belief was, let's go city to city, and what we want to do is we want to make our service so ubiquitous that people just use it as a matter of course. And what we're going to do is, let's say a taxi cab ride across town costs $10. We're going to make it, let's say, $7. And we're going to make up the difference with venture capital funding. Now, that means we're going to lose shitloads of money but what our plan is, let's go city to city and set up this ubiquitous service where everyone, like the word Uber becomes like the word Kleenex and everyone uses it. And then eventually what we'll do is, you saw them the, talking about driverless cars or dropping wages or cutting costs some other way. The plan was, once we get a lock on a market, we can change rates, we can cut costs, we can put in driverless cars and people won't be able to get rid of us. We'll just sort of be embedded in the fabric of transportation. But A, even if, when it's become successful, and by the way, this happens over millions of rides every day across the world. I, I'm going to Colombia in a couple of weeks. There's Uber down there. You go to Germany or whatever, there's Uber there, and uh, I'm sure in Asia as well. Uber is everywhere. But the problem with Uber is, and what really undercut it was, one, even when you get ubiquitous in a market, you don't get ubiquitous in the sense that um, people can only rely on you. Because what they showed with the sort of gig economy work and the way in which the app is set up with the, with the local laws, it's it's easy to be copied. That's why you have a Lyft that does virtually the ex same exact thing. So while they set up this new paradigm and they did get ubiquitous to a, to a degree, they didn't get exclusive. Uh, in fact, they made it possible for every other kind of wannabe vendor with just enough money to do the exact same kind of thing. So now they're trying to diversify. You guys have heard of Uber Eats. They're trying to do the exact same thing across a wide variety of industries. And they're running into the exact same problems over and over and over again. Let's go to a market. Let's cut the cost. Let's pass that savings on to the consumer to make them reliant upon the service. And then we'll just be good. But then DoorDash began to compete with them. And other things, like they just keep running into the exact same problem. And, and they had this eccentric owner who was or CEO who was a, who was a clown. It's a phenomenal book. The other one I read is um, Give People Money. Uh, you guys, I had Andrew Yang on my show. It's on this YouTube channel if you want to check it out. I uh, He is promoting something called the Freedom Dividend, which is the basic economic idea called the uh, UBI, or Universal Basic Income. Um, and the, the, there's various different versions of it. But the basic idea is that rather than give people... Um, 
you know, a, of a particular kind assistance for their particular needs related to their poverty, or whether it's extreme poverty and you're giving clothes and aid and medicine, or in the case of America, where it's means tested against their lack of, of, of relative wealth, just give people money. Just give everybody money. And again, you have to get that number right, which is a big part of it. And what you'll find is it's much better at alleviating poverty and uh, creating for a better work environment than anything else. And I tell you, I tell you what, I went into this book. It's by Annie Lowry. I went into this book being a huge skeptic, but I wanted to read it to just to better understand UBI, right? I didn't know enough. I didn't. I, I didn't feel like I knew enough about UBI, and I still have plenty of questions about it. I got to tell you, if, if if you're like me, where you hear stuff about UBI and you're like, it's not only politically untenable, it sounds like economic catastrophe. I got to tell you, the arguments are way stronger than you might imagine. Even if you don't want to agree with that assessment, I can't recommend the book enough as a way to, one, get a better understanding, not so much of Yang's particular proposals, but about UBI in general, about its history, what it proposes, what it claims to solve, what it claims to not solve, why it's important, why it's different, its history of implementation across different projects, both in this country and elsewhere. People think it's a one political party or the other. It is not. Its history is absolutely bipartisan. That is a fact. Um, and, uh, it's a great book. It's a really great book. Let me say one last thing about this. You don't have to read books where you just want things you agree with in the world spit back to you. In fact, I highly recommend you do not do that. Read books that challenge your worldview. You might have find it frustrating. You might find it annoying. You might find it to a degree unsatisfying. You don't have to do it every time. But on occasion, if you have questions about something and really some skepticism about it, engage it. I still have some skepticism about various policy measures related to UBI. In particular, you know, one of the things that Andrew Yang claims is like, oh, the robots are coming for us. But that doesn't really show up in um, productivity measurements, right? It's like if you, you're, you're claiming that we're losing these jobs at the, by the this extraordinary amount, and that doesn't at all show up in our productivity. In fact, productivity, as AI has increased, has slumped actually in this country. And I don't think he has a proper answer for that. So there's, there's, there's lots of ways you can engage this. I'm simply saying, dude, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. People, I'm, oh, I believe something about X, whether it's political or, or a, a sports issue or uh, whatever. And then they think that they know, they know what the answers are to it, and they never want to engage the dissent. You can't say you believe in something if you don't engage in the dissent of it. Uh, let's see. Can any donk off the street become MMA media? Yes. Luke, are you keto-friendly or keto-hostile? If keto works for you, I highly encourage you to do it. There's flexible dieting. There's keto dieting. There's intermittent fasting. The, you know what the common denominator in all of them is, according to, um, according to uh, Lane Norton, who has a PhD in nutrition? The common denominator there is that all of them just cut your calories. They just do it various different ways, but it's not about one thing or the other. If it works for you do it but it's not i don't know that it's better than any other system and in the end it just does the same thing that all the other ones do as an aussie do we have ourselves to blame for getting average quality cards we buy all the tickets no matter what we are given p.s does belter even realize australia exists they'll make their way down there for sure ufc has opened it enough that other ones are going to want to follow um so they're going to come down there you know blame is not the right word 
Your market's just underdeveloped. But look what you got this weekend, man. You guys are shining this weekend. Shining. You got a gr- I mean, you have the best fight. Dude, here's what you should be looking at. You're looking at this the wrong way. You don't necessarily have the same depth that a Brazil or a United States might have yet. Give it time. We'll see. Here's what you do have. You got the best fight in the MMA calendar all year. You should be proud. You should be very proud. That is an amazing, amazing thing to consider. Because 15 years ago, when I was watching this shit on Spike TV, that was not a reality. That was not even a possibility. You had Elvis Sinisek and um, you know Anthony Parosh, and that was it. No, you guys are killing it right now. Uh, why don't you get the man in the hat to join Morning Combat full-time, revive the MMA beat? Because I don't want to revive the MMA beat. I want to do something different. However, what I can tell you is the man in the hat will join me on Monday. It'll be me and Chuck Mindenhall on Monday. Uh, let's see. What advice would you give a 21-year-old who feels lost and can't find what they're passionate about in life? Don't worry. I was the exact same way. You, you cannot imagine how common it is. In fact, I almost envy you. Which is to say, not your despair. But if you feel lost, it is only because the world is inviting itself for you to discover it. You just haven't figured it out. I didn't figure it out until I was 25, 26. Imagine however you're feeling, feeling four more years of that. Right? Get out and experiment. Go sign up for, I don't know, swim classes. Join an MMA gym or don't. Buy a bike. Go see your city. Um, Save up some money. Go travel. Um, Join a fucking Dungeons and Dragons club. Go to a Comic-Con. I don't know. Just try stuff. And a lot of it won't work. You'd be surprised at what might. You'd be surprised what might. If Nunes gets past Durandamy in her next bout, where does she go from here? Good question. I do not know. She might just call it a day after that point. Remember, she wants to have a family. How many donks does it take to screw in a light bulb? One, player. Uh, Luke, what do you think about the Gracies refusing to train with Cub Swanson since he's fighting Crone? Is that too far? I find that pathetic. I find that completely pathetic. That they won't even train Cub Swanson, who, by the way, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, who has done nothing other than ask every jiu-jitsu school he's ever walked into to treat him no different than anybody else. And now that he's fighting somebody who has the last name Gracie, they can't give him the time of day. What bullshit that is. Dude, there's so much nonsense in MMA and in, in jiu-jitsu. You go to these schools, it's like you have to have a white gi on. Man, you, 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 I have to wear a white gi so your school can look cool on Instagram? I'll take my money elsewhere. Or, you know, uh, there's rules about who can get water first at the fountain. Fuck off, man. I'm an adult. I'm going to get water when I want water. Or, you know... We gotta, you gotta call people certain names and stuff. I mean, you just, it's, it's the most. And then, oh, if you leave the gym, you're a creanch. I got sick of all that. I got, I got super sick of that. Cub Swanson deserved a lot better. Cub Swanson's given more to jujitsu, and he deserved better than to be treated that way. And it's ridiculous. And whoever did it, shame on them. Uh, how'd you decide on Brian Campbell as the co host of Morning Combat? Man. You know, I thought Brian, every time he was on uh, uh, MMA Hour, you know, whether you like him or you dislike him, it's the same for me. I always thought, he, number one, he did his homework. He always tried. He was smart. He was in the area. 
And um, here's a big part of it. He had our existing relationship with Showtime, you know? I mean, even if he didn't have, I probably would have, you know, tapped him for this one because I needed someone super high energy and all that stuff. But remember, he works at CBS. He's got, he already does work on Showtime. It just seemed like the perfect fit. I was like, man, this is going to be an easy sell, you know? And it was. It was not hard to convince them. Uh, favorite movie genre? I don't know that I have one, man. I don't know that I have one. I like... Wow, that's a great question. I don't know that I have one. I'm not partial to horror. And I'm not partial to... Uh, which isn't to say I don't watch it. I do, but... I'm not partial. Obviously, chick flicks can just go away. But I'd say I like military movies. Who doesn't love action movies? Um, obviously, martial arts movies. Um, thrillers. I like thrillers. Right? Uh, yeah. Also, fuck Bryce Harper. Yes, I agree. Luke, do you think Robert Whitaker's popularity would grow if he beats Israel, especially in dominating fashion? Yes, of course. But have you guys noticed the real the real talk here from Dana, from the fan base, from the media, is about what happens to Adesanya if he wins. That's the real blow up. Like, oh, if he gets it, what does that do for him? Not the other way around. I find that very, very interesting. It's like, to be clear, either guy's going to benefit here. But Dana's like, oh, well, if he beats Whitaker, we might do the John Jones fight, and that would launch him into stardom, and blah, blah, blah. All of the interest in that regard is on Adesanya. All right, let me do, like, one or two more. What's worse, people who ask for a ranch with their buffalo wings or people order well-done steak? Well-done steak, man. Well-done steak. An animal died so you could torch it? I mean, Jesus Christ. Best commentary team in MMA right now. Someone says Hardy and Gooden. Yeah, they're up there. Uh, I like Anik and uh, Rogan and DC. Anik, Rogan, and Cruz are pretty good. Oh, Jesus, this is a long-ass thing. Okay, I can't get into this long one about PEDs, but this guy is wrong. He's arguing that, um, oh, um, is there any, because people are like, oh, uh, fighting is safer now that we have, uh, oh, no, you need USADA in there because if, you know, people aren't hitting each other with, you know, they're not putting the ball through a hoop, they're, uh, they're hitting each other. And I've argued that there's no evidence that fighting is safer. That is a fact. There's zero evidence to suggest that it's safer. The famous, the famous retort to this one is this one, Vitor Belfort. Uh, played a significant role in allowing him to not only win three straight devastating ways, it also resulted in Michael Bisping permanently losing eyesight, but losing wrong, in one of his eyes during Vitor's PED head kick reign. 
Well, first of all, it was the accumulated damage, although that one had a, played a big role. It's clear that once USADA came to the picture, Vitor's athletic ability and declined. Sure. So let's look at that here real quickly. This is the thing I always try to tell people. The argument about PEDs is not that it doesn't make them more competitive. Uh, it, it, well, it doesn't always, but certainly it can, right? I mean, hence the name. So let's see. So it was the Luke Rockhold one where everything kind of got bad. He beat Dan Henderson. And then around 2015, it was when he came back. He gets TKO'd Vitor Belfort by Chris Weidman. He, get, he did beat Dan Henderson. Uh, but then he gets TKO'd by Jacare. He gets TKO'd by Gugard. He gets KO'd viciously by Nate Marquardt. Okay. The point being was he was handing out ass whippings before that. And then afterwards, he absorbed horrible damage. Now, you would say, well, that's fair. Maybe it is. I'm not here to argue it's not fair. But you didn't reduce the amount of damage. You just shifted who took it. You didn't, you didn't get less TKOs. You didn't get less KOs. You didn't get less brain trauma. You just shifted who took it. Now, that might be righteous and enough of a reason to do it, but just don't claim that the argument is that now it is safer. Frankly, you don't want MMA to be safer. I think the argument is we like this because it's dangerous. And more to the point, there is no evidence that the introduction of USADA has resulted in a safer form of fighting. If anything, it's actually gotten more dangerous. Let's end on something a little bit more of a positive note. Uh... One more. One more, then I got to go. I'm late. Super late. Ooh. Who's... <laughs> Jesus Christ, these are really good questions. Um, all right, I'm wasting everyone's time here, just mouth breathing. If here we go. If Colby Covington were to win the welterweight title, who would you like to see him defend his belt against first? Again, if the guy who wins the BMF title wants a title shot, like they call that out, versus because look, they could call out Connor, they could call out um, you know somebody else for the BMF title, or they could call out. The title shot to me, they get to pick their, they get to pick who they want. You win that with the Rock putting the belt around you, and then you get out there at the media press conference. And Nate is really good with the media. Folks don't accept that sometimes. Everybody knows Jorge is really good with the media, dude. They're gonna call their shot. They're gonna call their shot. So my answer is, if the BMF guy wants it, that person. If not, I guess Leon Edwards or maybe Tyron Woodley. Or it's not really clear. Seems to me like they're on a bit of a collision course there. All right. Uh, let me say this. I want to really thank everyone for watching this. I'm sorry about the nature of my stupid face <laughs> and all of the gross things that are coming out of my face. Holy shit, someone left a $300 donation? Are you shitting me? Wow. Are you fucking kidding? Wow. Wow. Um, thank you. The person wrote, absolutely appreciate everything you do for us. Good for you for doing your own thing. No need to, uh, no need for the gossip. Do what you want to do best, which is provide us with amazing MMA content. Congrats. And thank you again for everything you do for the community. Dude, thank, that is crazy gift. Um, I can't thank you enough. That's going to go to, to, to new, con to new uh, equipment. 
That is crazy. Let me just say this, man. I am so fucking pumped that this is back. This chapter of my career, I'm going to do what I want to do, man. I'm going to do the kind of content that I want to do, the kind of content you guys ask for, the kind of content where we work together. I'm going to blow this channel up. You're going to help me blow this channel up. You already did. We're already here. I am pumped, y'all. I'm super, super pumped. That time off, I needed it. I missed this. I'll do more of it. Uh, like the video. Subscribe to the channel. Share this around. And again, we're on Spotify. If we're not on Apple Podcasts today, I'll put it up to whenever they approve us. You know, Let me check right now, actually, uh, just to make sure to see where we're at on this one. Let's go podcasts. Let's see. Sons of bitches haven't put it up yet. Dude, I put this thing in like a week and a half ago, man. How long does this take? Good Lord. All right. Well, that'll be up soon. Um, it's on. It'll be on SoundCloud, Stitcher, the whole nine. So thank you guys so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Let's get this going, man. Spread the word. We are back. And if you want merch, everything's in the description box below. Until next time, which will be next week, stay frosty.